Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our midweek service. It's a joy to be with you again, and uh, I pray that things are going well with you. If you would uh, do me a favor and uh, sometime on your computer, go to gracewayokc.org and you can look. Uh, I think the tab is events or resources or something, but as you do, you can uh, open that up and you can uh, download the uh, newsletter. At least look at it on your computer or your tablet or your phone or print it off. And as you do that, look at the events that are coming up. Things are slowly but surely kind of resuming a more normal look and feel. I'm so glad that the students this year are going to get to go to camp and uh, we praise the Lord for that. But all of these things need your prayer. Think about how important prayer is and think about how hard it is for uh, God's people to actually pray. And uh, I would just encourage you to take those announcements and instead of just looking at them and saying, well, that doesn't uh, pertain to me, we'll pray for the ones that uh, it does pertain to and pray for the leaders of the event and uh, pray that God will be glorified and people will be saved. Pray about, um, you can look on the back and there's offering and Sunday school attendance, those kind of things. Pray about those things with us and uh, pray for God to send us people. Pray for God to allow us to witness to people who are ready to be saved. Pray that uh, we'll once again see the uh, baptistry used and uh, pray that new members will come into the church. We're thankful for those who have joined us lately and those that are waiting to join. It's a, a great thing. And we're thankful for visitors that we have during the week. And uh, we're also thankful for people who watch these live stream things. On Sunday morning, I know there are people watching us in Minnesota and California and uh, Texas, as well as other parts of Oklahoma, and I'm probably leaving some out. But uh, think about that. Through this virus and everything, we see it as it's limited us. Well, actually, no, it's actually expanded us. And uh, our words and our messages are going further than they ever did before. And so we praise God for new friends, and we praise God for new opportunities. So if you will do that and participate in everything that you possibly can. Some of you have not been to church in a long time. And I just want to say we miss you and we'd like to have you back. And uh, as things calm down in terms of COVID-19 and the governor has removed the state of emergency for Oklahoma, uh, come on back and join us. A lot of us have been vaccinated and there's still people who wear masks. You can wear it if you're comfortable wearing it or if that makes you feel better. Uh, you're certainly welcome to do that. There's no shame or anything in that. And uh, we would just love to see you. And uh, as time goes by, we'll uh, even our services will get a little more back to uh, some normal things. Okay? Uh, also want to encourage you as you look on the newsletter to look at the prayer list and to see if there's any way that you can minister to somebody. 
How can you encourage somebody? How can you be involved in their life? We're all about, at Graceway, exalting Jesus Christ. We're all about equipping saints. That's why we teach the Bible. We're all about evangelizing the lost. That's why we want the gospel to go out. And then we're also about the fourth E is engaging other people. We don't ever want to be the church that just says, as long as I attend, that's good enough. And some people just come and they just sit and uh, do nothing. They participate very little, but they're here and they think they're fulfilling Hebrews 10, 25. Well, can I remind you the context of Hebrews 10, 25 is not just attend church and everything will be okay. The context is verse 24. And let us consider one another and how we may stimulate or provoke or encourage one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So what's the point? God intends for the body to be active and interactive with one another. And so we get to know one another and we pray for one another and we serve one another and we do things for one another that are going to lighten other people's loads. We do things that are going to make people smile and feel loved. We're going to do things that bring them courage and bring them strength. This is why God put us in the body. And this is a part of what I'm going to call getting the big picture. And the big picture is not just what's going on in my life. It's not even what's going on in the church or what's going on in the nation. This is about what is going on in the kingdom of God. And do I have a heart that's big enough to embrace what God is doing wherever he may be doing it and however he may be doing it. This is the idea of it's more than just I read my Bible every day and I go to church every time the doors are open. This is how do I see my neighbor down the street when all of a sudden this place that normally has one or two cars in front of it now has 15. That ought to alert me. Something's not right, potentially. Now, it could be a birthday party. It could be an anniversary celebration. But you know, a lot of times in my neighborhood, I've noticed that when I investigate, I find out they've lost a loved one. What are we going to do with that? Are we seeing the big picture of why we're here? That maybe God put me on this earth at this time. He's put me in a church where I've learned some doctrines. I've learned some truth that I might not have learned otherwise. And he's put me in a neighborhood so that I can take those things from church and from my involvement with other believers and put them into action, putting love into action when I see something going on in my neighborhood. You see what I mean? It's the kind of thing that says, how do I see bigger than just me and just my friends? How do I see what God is doing with the person that I work with? How do I see and understand what God is doing in the lives of family members and relatives, extended family? 
How do I see what God is doing in world missions? How do I see what God is doing in the midst of oppressive governments that I read about in the newspaper or see on TV? And do I think about my part in all of that? Yeah, maybe I can give money. Yeah, maybe I can go there and share the gospel, but probably not. But you and I can pray and we can get involved in those kind of things. When we drive by a crisis pregnancy center, do we think about reaching young women for Christ? Do we think about the babies that are going to be saved through that? Do we think a little bigger than just, well, at least my daughter is not pregnant. Well, at least I don't have anybody that needs to go there. Or do we think bigger? What is God doing in this world? And how can I be involved in it? Now, what does that have to do with Psalm 11? Well, in Psalm 11, just to review a little bit, David, as the king, has some things going on in the kingdom that are unsettling. I don't know what they are. You don't know what they are. We'll ask him one of these days whenever we get to heaven. But he's getting counsel from people that are telling him, you need to run, David. Flee, flee, get out of here. You need a change. And you need to be somewhere else. And sometimes when our lives are going off script, as we've been saying, and sometimes when our lives are not the way we intended for them to be, what do we do? We tend to look at ourselves. We tend to kind of shrink in instead of saying, why does God have me in this awful and painful situation? You know what we say? I need to flee like a bird. I need out of here. And instead of having the hope that says, God has put me, a person who is righteous, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and given the righteousness of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I have the Holy Spirit. My life is different. I know the Word of God. My life and my thinking is different. Maybe God has me at this point of pain so I can help somebody else who is not redeemed, who does not have the righteousness of God, who has not been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who doesn't understand the scripture, maybe God has you right where he wants you. And maybe when those voices say, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Maybe you hear inside of you the Holy Spirit saying, for nothing is impossible with God. And you realize that God has put you in an impossible situation so that he can show his power and he can show his glory. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you ask or think according to the power that works in us. May Christ receive glory in his church forever and ever. That's a paraphrase of Ephesians 3. 20 and 21. And so God will put you in impossible situations. Somebody said, he'll never put you through more than you can handle. Where's that promise? I find that God is constantly 
putting his people in things that are bigger than they are, in things that they can't handle so that they will turn to God and God will do it in them and God will do it through them and God will do it even for them sometimes. And so this is what God is doing and we need to get the big picture. And David saw this while others are saying, run, hide, flee, be hopeless. There's nothing that can be done. It's all over. David said, how can that be? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is seated on his throne. How can it be hopeless when God not only is sovereign, he also sees all of these things. He is working all things together for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. How can it be when none of these things shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? I mean, you can go through Romans 8, and uh, what, a, what a great thing that we find here. C.S. Lewis was writing about the pain that we feel, and he had a lot of it. And he said, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. Boy, that's true, isn't it? God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So why does God allow people to hurt to get their attention? And why does God allow his people to hurt and to be bewildered? Because we are ambassadors for Christ and the world is watching us and how we react to painful, bewildering situations is a tremendous witness or not to them. He also says, the real problem is not why some pious, humble, believing people suffer, but why some do not. Boy, isn't that the truth? He's honest, isn't he? You know, sometimes what bothers us is not just simply that people who love God suffer, but why don't they all suffer in the same way? I can imagine how easy it is to be lying on a bed receiving an infusion of chemotherapy and knowing that your next week is going to be hellish and wondering why there are some people who have lived a lifestyle much worse than you've lived, and yet they're not having problems with cancer. I can think about what in the world has happened to my heart. Why did I get that virus? Why did it affect my heart the way that it has? I mean, after all, other people got the virus and it didn't affect their heart. Are they better than me? Am I better than them? And so Lewis said, the problem is not that believing pious people get these things. It's we wonder why some people don't, why the bad people don't seem to suffer. And over and over in the Psalms, the question is asked, why do the heathen prosper? And it bugs us. And we don't see the big picture. All we see is our world and we feel our pain. And we're just kind of stuck here. 
and we focus in on ourselves. Have you ever noticed how pain kind of makes you selfish? It's hard to minister to somebody else when you're hurting. It's hard to focus on someone else when you are in pain. And that pain can be, um, you know, a variety of ways, physical pain, mental and emotional pain, those type of things. But it still does its work from the enemy's side. It makes us shrink in. Instead of seeing the kingdom, we see only us. Instead of seeing the big picture, we focus in and become myopic. And so we've got to watch out for these things. Let me give you some things that I think will uh, help you. In Psalm 11, the Bible says, But the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. You know, we really need to think about that and not just gloss over it or say that can't possibly mean what it says. Because I think it does. Verse 6, Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone. Sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah, doesn't it? And a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. Verse 7, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. And his countenance beholds the upright. So how do we get the big picture? Well, number one, understand the plight of the unsaved. If you're not living under the Lord's love and his care and his covenant, what do you have? The song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, kind of a happy little song until I heard it in its original context uh, in a movie with uh, Judy Garland. I can't think of the name of it. And when it first was written, it was written as a sad song. They were having to leave, they were having to move, and it was going to ruin Christmas. Have yourself a merry little Christmas, right? And uh, it goes on to say, but until then we'll have to muddle through somehow. So have yourself a merry little Christmas now. My understanding, Frank Sinatra wanted to sing the song, but it was too depressing. And he said to somebody, can't you jolly it up a little? And um, so the song as we, most of us know it, was written then. But originally it was just about muddle through. It's not going to be good. It's going to be horrible. But somehow we'll just make it through. And so many people look at life and it's a matter of just muddling through, making it through. And they don't have the joy of the Lord. They don't have the peace of God. They don't have a song in their heart. How in the world did Paul and Silas sing at midnight in a prison? Doesn't take that much to take my song away. Doesn't take that much to take your song away either, I'm going to suspect. We're so spoiled and so used to everything being easy, that whenever that goes away and things get a little bit hard, then we wonder why God hates us. We wonder why life has to be so hard. And we want to quit. We want to give up. 
and like David's advisors, we want to flee. We want to go somewhere else. But if we think about the plight of the unsaved, the plight of the unsaved, Corey Tinboom, she and her family hid Jews in Holland during World War II and during the Holocaust. They were caught and they were put in a concentration camp. I believe Corey was the only one who survived. She was speaking one night at a church, giving her testimony. And there was somebody out there and there was something familiar about them. And then she realized that man was one of the prison guards at the concentration camp. He was cruel. He was awful. And yet she was so thankful that he was in church that night. And her heart was stirred to forgive that man. And that man came to know Christ as his Lord and Savior and became a brother in Christ. She loved him. They became friends. And they were even ministry partners, as I understand. You know what was happening? When Corey saw that man, she understood that what he had done to her was unspeakable. It was abominable. It was horrible. But the big picture was, without Christ, this guy was going to something far worse than a concentration camp. He was going to hell. And if you and I could look around and we could see that person that did us wrong, are they a Christian? Well, if they are, that's a different matter. But if they're not, this is the closest to heaven they're ever going to get. All that awaits them is hell. When I think about the book, Your Best Life Now, I think about how that applies only to lost people. Only lost people are having their best life now. Their eternity is in hell, in the lake of fire. Now, if you and I could look at people, even our persecutors, even those who do us wrong and betray us, those who are the cause of our pain, if we could get the big picture and say, it ain't over yet. This isn't the final word. The Lord Jesus has the final word. And if they don't repent of their sins and put their trust in Christ, they are going to hear the chilling words, depart from me, workers of iniquity, I never knew you. The wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Well, I wish that would change even the way we would listen to the news or watch the news, read the newspaper. A lot of violence in our world today. We need to remember the plight of the wicked. It's not just about us. Number two, understand the severity of God. So what is hell going to be like? Is it just going to be uncomfortable? Is it just going to be annoying? Is it just going to be filled with obnoxious people? Is it going to be like going to prison? Is it going to be, I mean, what is it? Well, when God speaks here through David, he says in verse 6, Upon the wicked he will rain coals. 
Okay, I don't find anything appealing about that at all, do you? I've been in some hailstorms I didn't like. I watched some hail fall a few years ago that, well, if I'd been out in it and gotten hit, it would have knocked me out or killed me. Uh, to rain coals on people, though, well, that's, that's even more extreme. No thank you. No thank you. Fire falling from heaven, no thank you. Notice it says, fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. And it's as if God goes, drink it, and puts the cup out there of his wrath, and they, for an eternity in the lake of fire, will be drinking from the cup of the wrath of God. You see, Jesus drank from that cup, and he drained it. And he did that for us so that when we are in Christ, we miss all of this. But if we're not careful, we tend to think that maybe everybody's saved, or at least we act like it. That's why we don't witness. And we act like hell is not all that real. Or maybe if it is real, it's not all that bad. We need to rethink things. David understood those people that were causing trouble. He knew the last word would be had by God. He remembered that and remembered what God was going to do. Thirdly, if you want to get the big picture, you've got to understand the nature of God. For the Lord is righteous and he loves righteousness. You know, that tells me that if I'm doing what's right while I'm here on earth and I'm walking in the spirit and the Lord is living through me, even if other people don't appreciate it, and even if it brings persecution, problems, trials, things that I don't understand. The world may hate me. Lost people may hate me. The devil may attack me. But God loves me because he loves righteousness. And I have received his righteousness, not by what I've done, but by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says his eyes are on you and on me, just like they're on the sparrow. And this righteous God loves righteousness. Well, let's give him something that he loves. He didn't say he loves righteousness if the time is right, if it's easy, if you're feeling good, if everybody's receiving it. Now, this is written in the context of the opposite of that. When Paul told Timothy to preach the word, he said, preach the word in season and out of season, whether people want it, whether they don't, whether it's convenient, whether it's not, whether you had the freedom to, or whether you're under oppressiveness and they've told you you can't do it anymore. Do it anyway. And that's what David is saying to us understand the nature of God. He's righteous and he loves righteousness. So let's give him what he loves and let's focus upon God instead of focusing upon our culture, upon our enemies, focusing on what's wrong, focusing upon what hurts us, focusing on what discourages us. Don't do that. Focus upon the Lord. And number four, understand the grace of God. We all think we understand grace, but we don't. We don't. 
We all think we've got it, but we don't. Scripture here says, his countenance upholds, or pardon me, beholds the upright. You know what he's saying? His face is upon us. And when you look at God and you realize he's watching you, he's smiling. He's looking at you through the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees you cleansed. He sees you perfect. And he is working in your life to sanctify you. And even though there may be wicked people involved who have done you wrong and are doing you wrong, don't hold a grudge. Why? Understand their plight. They're not under the love of God. They don't know what you know. They don't have what you have. You always have reason to rejoice. Understand the severity of God. The prophet Amos told the nation of Israel, prepare to meet thy God. That can be a terrifying thing if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Think about where they're going. Think about the nature of God. He loves righteousness. Why aren't we giving him what he loves? Why aren't we surrendering to him so that he works through us in the way that we think, in the way we feel, in the things that we choose, so that everything that comes out of our life is made by God, wrought by God, produced by God in the new nature that we've been given. So that when it comes out of us, God looks at it and he's pleased with what is coming out of us regardless of our circumstances. Boy, the devil doesn't know how to handle that. The demons of hell don't know how to handle that. This lost world doesn't know how to handle that. But God is sure pleased with it. And understand that he has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten you. He's not kicked you to the side. He's not moved on to someone else. In fact, his countenance, what's it say? His countenance beholds the upright. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows why you're going through it. He knows how long you're going to go through it. He knows the severity of it. He's in control as the sovereign one. Someone said that when you're thrown into the furnace, remember God has his hand on the thermostat. Oh, how true that is. And you and I can bring more glory to God in the times that are bewildering, in the times that bring pain, in the times that are unsettling, because we stand on the solid rock. So where are you standing? Stand on Jesus. Be anchored to him because he is the one that loves you. He is the one that can take care of you. And he is the one that will see you through. So I want to say thank you. I appreciate the fact that you took time to uh, join us tonight. And um, as you pray, may God answer your prayers. May God meet your needs. May God bring healing and grace to your life. And uh, may this week be a blessed week. And we'll see you on Sunday morning in Sunday school and in church. Bring somebody with you. Get back in the habit of bringing people to church and inviting people to church. Tell somebody about Jesus this week. 
and glorify him no matter what it is you're going through because you have the big picture seeing things through the eyes of Christ and his kingdom. God bless and thank you for your time.